Psychedelic sense. Yeah, right. That's what right. we used to say when we take some acid. One time at... You take it, and then it's not working, and then you take more. Right. I used to do this trick when I was at boarding school. We could get acid. And uh, I uh, I got the hit the day before, and my plan was I would wake up at 6 or something, because mm-hmm. we didn't have anything planned on, on Saturdays at, at boarding school. And then I would take the drop the hit... And go back to sleep <laughs> so that when you wake up, you're in another universe. <laughs> it worked. It was really uh, cool. It's good for those dull uh, New England mornings or yeah. where, wherever you are. Oh, my gosh. Um, and we're back. Let's get started. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for, for you, who? For you. For him. For she, for, for he, all three of you, or for out they. There. Today on RMA, we continue our discussion in part two of "Alcohol Is Shite," and Mike almost gets arrested picking up a FedEx package in a very special edition of RMA. Yeah, so uh, welcome back, folks. Um, yeah, so you should visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. That's a great place to find us. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. And can I just say something? Yes. I'm going to say something. That's what I'm going to say is it occurred to me yesterday as I was listening to a podcast that all podcasts tell the people to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a, a five-star. You don't even have to leave a review, you can just hit five stars and it literally, literally takes 10 seconds. And even though I tell people to do that every week, I never do that. So what right. I did yesterday is I went to like five or six podcasts that I listened to and I gave them all five stars. And, it, I, and you know what? It's good. It people, comes back. Just go do that. Yeah. Just, it really helps us. It gets us on the front page. And once we're on the front page, you know, we can do anything yeah. When we're on the front page. Definitely. We like right? the reviews. In fact, we did get another rating, another five star. Oh, did we? we Thank did, you, but, anonymous person. Yeah, they uh, didn't uh, leave a review, That's which okay. is okay, but thank but you, if you for five But cho- if you do choose to leave... <laughs> leave your leave you. Leave a review. Uh, great reviews will be read on the show. Just open your Apple Podcast app, search for our show, click the Drunk Monk's scroll down to where it says reviews, and click write a review. Give us five stars and tell us how much you love us. Did they tell us our, their story? Uh, tell us your story oh. by logging into middleagesrecovery.com. <laughs> Scroll down and fill out your story form, and you could hear your review read on the air. And then there's another thing here that doesn't make sense <laughs> that I have. Middleagesrecovery.com, and you could hear it on the show. Yeah, that's not a sentence. <laughs> that's must... just hanging out there. Is new merch available? New merch is available. Oh. Send us a message on our <laughs> Facebook group or email uh Email me, apparently, at middleagesrecovery.com. <laughs> Mike R. at middleagesrecovery.com for details. Nobody emailed me last week. Was this the uh, also the address that we gave out last week? Yeah, we did, but nobody is looking for it yet. But I'm working on it to have it on our website, so you can just click buy, and then I have to figure out how to uh, ship it. It's a work in progress, folks, but it, we're very busy. Yeah, this has been a nightmare. Like, the last... I know I say this every week, but the chaos continues. Yes, well, until you die. It doesn't end. I feel like someone was asking me about, uh, oh, my friend Chris. 
he uh we were he he was in the band that does the intro with me he's a professional um sound engineer and uh he's also builds guitars and um wow. he, he built this because i was saying oh, man, i want to get another strat you know because in the old days before i sold it for drugs i had a really beautiful strat or two mm. and he's like oh he's like don't waste your money on on fender you know i make a better version of it and i said uh okay let me see it and he showed me this awesome it's like an all black telecaster with a maple neck and it's got his like branding on mm. the back of the headstock like he did he makes really nice guitars and um he probably only charged I don't, know, I don't know what it'll charge me maybe 800 bucks but the guitar is worth a couple grand wow in any case he's like we'll come over and play it you know let's let's and and i i was like okay um you know and he's not married but he you know he has his girlfriend that lives with him but no kids and um no kids. No kids. Lives with his girlfriend. Yeah. And he makes guitars for a living. Well, that's that, a great life. And recording rock and roll. And, uh, oh, right. and he's a music teacher. And he does wow. uh, sound engineering classes at, at Sam Ash. And he, uh, and, 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 and. So I was like, um, listen, if we're, I'm going to come over, it has to be like between like 9 a.m. and and like 11 a.m. <laughs> because from 6 p.m. to sleep, there's nothing. There's no room, not even a sliver. Uh, it's just chaos. Time. It's, chaos in the house. It's so much. And I finally wrote down a list of everything that I, I have in my mind that I have to do. And it's long and horrible. And this is just off so, the top of my so, head. So Nat is pulling the list out of his pocket. It's on a nice crumpled piece yeah. of paper. I'm not going to bore you with it because a lot of stuff for school and the store and stuff. But it's right. just like... I mean, I just wrote, this was like 10 Holy minutes. Holy shit, that's a long list. But that was just the you top got like of my- like 30 things on there. That was the top of my head. That's yeah. not even everything, which- uh, Can you consolidate some of those things? I want to. That's why yeah. I wrote it down. Part of it, because my wife is like, just, you know, because I was really stressing out. And when I'm stressing out and thinking about everything I have to do, um, kids are unpredictable. So, you know, <laughs> you're sort of depending that your children will kind of just do what they're supposed to. So you can continue to try and- stay above water and get these things done. But, you know, yesterday, especially they were not, you know, we've been having some trouble with my oldest, um, behaviorally and, um, and it's just, just crazy. And I need them to like, I just need something to work so I can fucking get the, what I need to get done and do it right. Um, well, let's help like this, this, outline i have to have this outline done otherwise i lose my mind i wouldn't be able to do this show well we certainly don't it's want you crutch. losing your mind it's a crutch i need the outline it anchors me otherwise i would just do what i'm doing now which is stream of consciousness babbling and nobody wants to hear that just ask my wife speaking of your son um not behaving uh he <laughs> so the other day uh they had testing in the schools and our two boys unknown to each other had we decided to opt them out of that experience, that life experience. <laughs> what? Is it unbeknownst? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know Noah was yeah, staying I, home. I you didn't, didn't know, know Ben was staying. No. So it was unbeknownst. Yes. I love unbeknownst. Okay. Um, so I dropped by the store after Ben and I went out for, um, you know, breakfast for lunch. We did one of those things at the local diner. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, lo and behold, there was, there was your son. There he uh, is. So I, I uh, took him back with me to, uh, yeah. to the house <laughs> so he and Ben could have some fun together and uh but it was um you guys walked we walked that's it's, it's about a mile it's not that long uh although it's funny because we, we were about three quarters of the way into the walk and and Noah and ben are chatting and, and, and 
walking kind of behind me because I'm like, come on, guys, the sky's getting dark. It looks like it's going to yeah. rain. And uh, Noah just stops in the middle of the street. I mean, sidewalk. We weren't walking in the middle yes, of the street. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> looks around and goes, where are we? <laughs> I'm like, it's just up a couple of hills. We'll be there. <laughs> where are we? So he's like me. We get back to the house and then, uh, you know, I log onto the computer and I start doing some work and, you know, I start, I hear the patter of rain on the skylights and the thunder is rolling in. And then I, I'm, and I'm listening and I also hear like the sound of them jumping around on the trampoline and laughing. And I'm like, those two things don't go together. The thunder, the lightning (laughs) and the trampoline. So I get up and I look outside and it's pouring rain. I mean, it's like one of those one of those uh, looks like biblical, movies, yeah. yeah, biblical rainstorms, and there's the two of them jumping up and down like uh, like idiots on the trampoline in the, in the pouring <laughs> rain. And I'm like, guys, you got to get out of that thing, or else uh, you're going to get electrocuted. You're going to get hit by lightning. You'd think that we'd learn that in Cub Scouts, and they were yeah. just laughing. They just laughed at me for yeah. like five minutes, and I was like, I had to like put on my angry voice. I was like, yeah. get off the trampoline. They behave like insane people. Like this is the type of thing you would see at an insane asylum. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. That's what ten year olds. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's fun to run around in the rain, you know, not a problem. But when your wife came to pick him up, it was, it was hilarious. She came in and she's like, does he ever come home from your house with the same clothes that he arrives in? He's always wearing like like Ben's shorts. I had to give him like a whole new set of clothes. Um, They get lit on fire. I don't know. I don't know what she thinks of my parenting skills. Probably not very much, but you know. We all think very highly of your parenting skills. They're they're boys. They get dirty and wet and stuff. That's what happens. Um, Did you... uh, have uh, something very important to tell us about that <laughs> happened over the last week. You do like this outline. I love it. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I had the good fortune of being a guest on Annie Grace's podcast. Oh yeah, uh, um, it's awesome. This Naked Mind. Can't wait to hear it. Uh, it was it was kind of it was crazy because I had I was supposed to show up there in January and something came up for work, so I had to reschedule few months later. And I guess she does a bunch of them on the same day and then banks them and then issues them. So I'm not sure when it's going to be released, but I will let everyone know. And who is Annie Grace? Oh, Annie Grace is the author of (laughs) This Naked Mind. You may recall uh, that we did a three-part series on that book. And uh, both Nat and I think very highly of her approach to So do 100,000 people a week who listen to her podcast. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's, that was funny because a couple uh, days before I was supposed to go on, I said, you know, I sent her an email and I said, listen, um, thanks for the invite. I, I was, I described a little bit about what we do here in our little podcast. And I, and I said, and we're closing in on 15,000 downloads. Yeah. And, um, you know, so she lets me plug uh, RMA in the middle of the, uh, the interview, which I appreciate That's great. You know, it was wonderful. She didn't have to, and I would have done it either way. Um, but then like 10 minutes later, she kind of lets it drop that, yeah, we, you know, we get 100,000 downloads a week. And I was like, oh, that's a weird flex, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> but, She's sort of like 15,000. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Because um, then she was like, you know, you, I'll send you the files. You can post this on your podcast. It's fine. Yeah, I like she doesn't Because she's like, this these guys a, are not a threat to uh, no, my empire, threat. you know? Um, but yeah. it was it was great experience. I, I did, I guess, what you folks in the AA world call a qualification. Did which you? Is, I went through my story from the beginning. Experience. To the end. Strength. Yes. And, and hope, hope. Right? Uh, but I had never done that before. I mean, I did it in 1993 when I went to AA, but most of my story had not been written by that time. Yeah. Um, I don't like doing that. I've done that a couple times. I, I mean, it, it. it was extremely cathartic. I felt great when I was done, but while I was doing it, it, it 
it was like, like it was kind of getting to me. Like I felt very emotional about it. And uh, yeah. I'm not a, an overly emotional person. And also at the same time, I'm looking at myself on Zoom because she does them all on Zoom. And I'm looking at Annie Grace in her multi-million dollar living room. And so I'm like, oh, really? a, I'm thinking that's a nice stonework over the fireplace, yeah. you know, as I'm talking about my depravity. And then, uh, but then I look at myself and I'm like, I have this schlubby like hoodie on this shirt. I'm You're like, Oh my God, I didn't dress up for this thing. Like I look like I just I look like an alcoholic. The bridge. You look like an alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, I, but I did have a fake background. Of, it was the nice. picture. Oh, fuck. Beep. You know, I don't know because I don't know how much beeping I'm going to do because despite the fact that I'd emailed with her assistant like nine times about how to, um, what to call me and all this other stuff, she just, she just <laughs> does the introduction it. and used my real name. Kind of so like, I'm like, okay. Yeah, like Dave, when we did our first like uh, ad on Dopey, he just like says my full name like yeah. six times. Like, I didn't even remotely ask him to. It's because they know knew me from Facebook. So yeah, everybody right. has their full name, you know? Oh, you got vault. But how did it go? I, I you think felt it, good? I think it went well. I mean, she her interview style is to sort of just say, well, take me back to the beginning. And, and then she, and just, then shuts she up. just shuts up. And I knew that was coming. So I kind of- perfect for us. We should try that you, when we get people on. Just talk, talk to us. And yeah, just sit exactly. Back and like hope but talk best. about making a list. Like I had sketched out on a legal pad. I wrote um, 1983 to 87, uh, drinking. 1987 to 1991, crack. <laughs> I wrote the whole thing out, yeah. Well, let me tell you, you've never been to rehab- but what one of the things that I did in almost every rehab was they have you draw or write out a timeline. And I used to have one or two. Also, mm. when I the first time I did a step four, and if you don't know, a, a step four is where you'd sort of uh, write down all your wrongs and who you wronged and who wronged you and what happened. And you go through your, your story basically so that you can itemize what has happened and, right. um, and then figure out, and it just helps you. And then step five is when you tell another person, um, they call it an inventory, right? right. Searching and fearless moral inventory. That's it. Right. And then the, everyone fears step nine, where step eight is when you make the list of the people. Oh no, the eight is when you make the list of people you wronged, who wronged you. Nine is when you go and apologize. Step four is the list of all the shit you did mm. and then telling someone about it. I haven't worked the steps in several years, but um, that's what that is. So it's actually, I mean, it's something they do in, in AA. It's something they do in um, treatment centers. So it's maybe good that you did it. Just destroy it, you know? Yeah, I felt good afterwards. Although, you know, and I'll post the link when it comes out. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to post the link to the Zoom or just the audio, but whatever. I don't care. I'm kind of like losing the desire for anonymity anyway. I, after doing that yesterday, I'm like, oh, well, now 100,000 people can see my face and, and know what my story is. So well, it's one of those things you know. like anonymity. Um, it's one of those. It's a, it can be a tool to help. You know, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And it's like anything. It's a tool. You can use a knife to cut an orange or to uh, stab someone in the eye. <laughs> I suppose you can. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tool. Right. It's a tool. Speaking of anonymity, I want to get to your brush with anonymity, but I just want to put a capstone on uh, my day yesterday. Yes. Um, it was very strange because I was feeling really good about doing that podcast. And, um, you know, I, I things have been, you know, good um, overall. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like, <laughs> why are you holding up a picture of a jockstrap? I was just trying to distract you. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yes. Um, Sorry. So uh, 
And then I'm sitting there at night and I'm, I'm trying to find an article for recovery in the news this week. Nope, not time yet. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, and then I got a, out of nowhere, I got a, a Facebook message from uh, an old friend of mine telling me that another old friend that I had gone to college with uh, died yesterday and he was my age and he died in rehab uh, where he was trying to um, beat his alcohol addiction. Yeah, it's really and I don't know sucks. the I don't know the details, and I don't know you know if it was related to detoxing or if it was just a heart attack or something. But and I hadn't spoken to this guy for a few years, but we were pretty tight back in the day. Um, and you know, it kind of hits you, you know, at my age. Uh, which is a little more advanced than your tender years. But at my age, you sort of... You 70 yet? You st- <laughs> not yet. You start to see people who have not taken care of themselves over those years. Oh, man. You know, in your 50s is where all that shit starts to come up. And, yeah. you know, people start to develop serious health problems, you know. And, you know, got, you know good for him that he was finally addressing, you know, his, his issues. Uh, I don't know what his level of drinking was in the intervening years, but I, I guess it was bad enough for him to him to go seek, seek treatment, uh, which, you know, it just kind of sucks that, you know, it, when you go and you you're going to do the right thing and that's when you end up dying of the disease, you know? yeah. <laughs> not, not while you're actually out there. And it's um, extremely unfortunate. You know, when I was in rehab, uh, one of the times, uh, I remember noticing that, you know, I was, I was in rehab the first time, I think it was for, uh, heroin withdrawal and uh, when I got, and I thought I was, you know, the worst possible place more than anyone. I thought, you know, heroin is the worst thing possible. Mm-hmm. I need the, 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 the most care, you know. Um, and then what I realized was that the people that were, we would call them juicers, they just drank, out, real alcoholics who, uh, they were in an intensive unit for the first week or so, which right. is right next to the nurse's station because they had to be monitored like, serious hospital monitoring, mm-hmm. uh, for the first, um, I guess it was a week. And I just remember thinking, well, that's interesting. I mean, they just drank. Why do they get all this special? And then I learned that was, you know, I got a lot of education about my disease when I went to these places. And one of the things that I learned was that you can die from alcohol withdrawal. So yeah. I don't know if, if the rehab he was at wasn't like prepared in the way they should be for that, for a real alcohol withdrawal or, you know, it just, yeah, it's, it's all, the way the it's all crumbles. Spe- speculation. But I mean, like we were talking before the show that was it alcohol and benzos are the only two things that can kill you during withdrawal. Like yeah, you I feel really bad true. withdrawing from heroin, but it's not going to kill you. Right. It's a bad flu for a while. The thing that kills you is doing heroin. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, anyway, rest, yeah, so rest in peace, Matt. Um, you know, you were a good guy. We had some fun times together and, yeah. you know, your struggles are over now. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think if you're listening to this podcast, I think most Americans sadly um, know someone who has died uh, related to drugs. I know I have. In fact, my tattoo that I have on my left arm, which I guess I won't post a picture of because we're sort of being anonymous, but it, it was for sort of. this friend of mine who from high school, we were best friends and then I lost touch with him. And um, I found out a couple of years after college that he had passed away mm. and it really fucked me up. And um, I think part of it, what I've, what I've read uh, is that you, there's that survivor's guilt, mm-hmm. you know, that that's underlying the trauma there. 
um, you know, you made it and they didn't. And who are you and why did they? And, sure. and then you start, what about God? Did, did God do this or why did God do this? And why did God not do that? And, uh, and that's, that's extremely difficult. I mean, do you feel like that's a little bit of what's irking you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's more of a subconscious thing, you know, like, I mean, my, my initial, um, reaction was just one of intense sadness that, yeah. you know, it, that he, um, was still out there, you know, dealing with this at this point in his life, you know, and, you know, that yeah. the, his family is deprived of his presence. I mean, he wasn't married. He didn't have kids, but you know, yeah. people that loved him. And, uh, and that underlines, that underscores something that we don't talk about much on the show, but that we all think about is that, you know, we joke, we have fun with it because it's like gallows humor and it makes us feel better. And, you know, but it's a really deadly disease or situation. It's very dangerous uh, drug use and, and alcohol use and you will lose people and you know you could die and so uh, even though we joke around a lot it's important that listen this is a matter of life and death mm-hmm. it, it is a lot about making your life better and, and that's the fun part being able to do that right but uh, just to keep at the forefront that you know what this is life or death so you know hang in there guys and never feel like you can't reach out to someone, especially, I mean, you can always message us on Facebook and just for, uh, just for fun. And, um, I'll answer or Mike will answer. I mean, we're not, um, and that's, you know, that's actually perfect because I wanted to just say that, um, we're, we're not doctors also. And, um, we maybe we're experts. I feel like an expert, but a lot of what we do on this show isn't, uh, for me, anyway, a lot of it's exploring what we are believing because, I mean, I believe certain things, but intellectually, I'm still exploring these ideas. Like we were having a debate, uh, not a debate, but we were talking over the phone about marijuana and THC. Recently made legal in, in the great state of New York. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I think Mike was trying to get what my opinion was like, is it okay? Should, should it be something we should consider or should it not? And I didn't have an answer because the truth is I haven't settled on, I don't feel like I know enough. I don't know enough to try it Mm -hmm. and I don't know enough to decry it. Uh, that rhymed. Um, (laughs) so that's the show though. I don't want anyone to think like a lot of my, what I say is me hashing out these thoughts and feelings just like in a conversation. Right. It, it doesn't mean I, I have the answers and I'm even settled on it. So I uh, just wanted to remind everyone that this is us figuring things out with you. To look forward to RMA branded uh, strains of sativa. <laughs> and uh, what's the We're going to have our very, own, our very own indica. Um, uh, anyway, like before I forget or it falls off of the horizon. So... You had a funny thing happen uh, the other day. A funny thing with, happened. With respect to anonymity. Amamamony. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, as many of you may or may not know, there is a magazine called Grapevine or The Grapevine um, for, from uh, AA Intergroup, which is like the central publishing company, I think it's called. Um, and it's great. It comes out, I don't know. I don't know if it's monthly or quarterly or something. It's a little thing. And I had all intentions of actually reading, you know, taking excerpts from it and we could discuss it because <laughs> it's people's stories, things right. people say. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I love it. Um, 
And so uh, it comes in a, in a little dark bag, so you can't tell what it is. And, uh, and so two arrived at my house uh, instead of just the one. Uh, and my wife, I don't know why she did this, but she just accidentally opened one of them. She saw that it was the grapevine. And then there was, we, she said, oh, this isn't for you. This is for one of our neighbors. Mm. And I was like, oh. And the person who it is, uh, is a very prominent person in our town. Um, very uh, involved. He's a great guy. He um, used to sponsor the, uh, yeah. the 5K. Every, yes, uh, Thanksgiving. He, he owns and rest- maybe he restored this old building in town that's really cool and it's got his name plastered on it and he's a great guy. I, I see him walking around my neighborhood once in a while, very successful. So in any case... So he lives near you? Yeah, he's on... Oh, I won't say, but yeah. That like explains what there. happened. Yes, okay. I could walk to his house. Yeah. So it was just one of those things. I'm like, he's one of us. You know, which is something that I don't even like to so wait, consider so, one of us so, type of thing. So it was another grapevine yes. that had been accidentally delivered right. to you. So I got two. One okay. was mine, one was his. So I was thinking like, okay, how do I, how do I approach this? Should I message him and say, hey, my friend Bill. And in an AA, we say, I'm a friend of Bill's. That's just code for right. it's Bill W's, you know, is yeah. the, the, the guy who invented it or whatever with Bob. So I was going to say something like, hey, my friend Bill, you know, told me or sent me this by mistake, <laughs> just so he would know that I'm not, you know, someone who doesn't understand, you know, because that might horrify him to know that someone in town like me, who's, I'm also a public person in this town because of the various uh, charities I, I deal with in my store. But uh, so is he. And I was just like, how should I approach this? Your advice. My was, suggestion was to, to drop it off in his mailbox with a little note on it that says, we know what you are. <laughs> just fucking fuck with him a little well, bit. Because but. this could also be an opportunity to make a connection with someone like him who is a just a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's very positive and he does a lot for the community. And maybe... I, I, I've never met this guy. I, I just... I see his name. Yeah. But he's a nice guy, you say? He's extremely nice. He's okay. he's very he's he's one of these guys that just always says yes to helping. Oh. You know what I mean? Right. Well, maybe there's a reason for that, right? Well, that's what I'm it's all yeah. starting to make sense. And for me, it's one of those things like do I want to break my anonymity um with someone this public in town or do I it could this be a really great ally? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's a guy with a lot of great connections to other uh, sobriety groups. Like then maybe he could be the guy that's hey, we're, I'm get there's this speaker here. Why don't you, you want to come? Just a person we can do recovery with. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that verb too, recovery to do recovery. Do it. It's an action. Um, so I it's still like sober have it. networking. It's, yeah, uh, you know, good and thing. I don't want to not give it to him because I know how much I love to get this magazine. Because it's just like, I like recovery stuff because it's like, I like recovery books. I like recovery shows. I'm like obsessed with it. Um, and I know that I would be pissed if I didn't get my grapevine. And um, I don't know what to do. I, I just don't know, don't know how to I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a, that big a deal. You can just drop it off with a note saying, uh, this got delivered to me by and, mistake. Check out the article opened. on page, whatever, And whatever. then it, there's that awkwardness of my wife opened it by mistake. So oh. now he's like, why are you opening my mail? Well, you could just throw it in the garbage. <laughs> I know. I, I just, I don't want to waste an opportunity to meet another 
um, person on this journey. You mm. know, there's not a lot of us. Yeah, it's, everybody's under deep cover in this town who's, who's, in, who's on that journey. I'll tell you what, I went, when I was, when the AA meetings were happening, I went to one that was near my church on the other church. There's actually an NA meeting that is at my church. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go, but I'm always afraid to because right. I don't know, it's my church and it's small and I'm afraid. Does but, your pastor know that you're in recovery? No, I've never told him. I don't think he knows. But nice guy, by the way. He was here the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was really cool. When uh, Mike was in here, uh, Pastor Jeff came in and um, just to talk church stuff because I, I also do marketing for the church. Uh, and there's a big fair coming up. But he's one of the most approachable, you know, self-deprecating, mm-hmm. super intelligent. I forget where he went to school, but it may be like Duke or something. But he's he's a real uh, mensch, yeah. as they okay. say. There and, you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a- so, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. If you guys have suggestions on how I should approach this grapevine thing, please let us know on Facebook. Um, and, uh, yeah. But um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is my graduation date is approaching. Yay. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm just your trained I've monkey. I've worked just... so hard to get here, and I wanted to thank my mother. And, um, <laughs> and, and there's anxiety that goes along with that. I ordered my cap and gown, and I'm waiting for that to come. And I have one more paper due on May 3rd. What's that on? Um, it's on how does Tennessee Williams uh, portray and use the traditional form or the traditional meaning of masculinity to make a larger point societally. So if anybody wants to write Nat's paper, yeah. you can just submit it to it's us on the Facebook just, group. It's on Streetcar. Or if you've got something like that out there yeah, that you've already car, written. Streetcar Named Desire is what, what we're using as the, the text to study, and it's about masculinity because you've got Stella and you have Stanley and you have Blanche Dubois and how that all works. I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> Have you uh, weren't you reading something else the other day though? I'm reading everything. Oh, all right. Yeah, I, so I that wasn't all. for school? I sometimes read things. I read 3 or 4 books. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. <laughs> starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Yeah, weren't you reading that the other day? So yes. I hadn't even thought of that poem in a couple of years, and you were like, I'm reading Howl. That was a hell of an excerpt, too. Um, that was Ginsburg. Allen Ginsburg's Howl, H-O-W-L. We, we started studying some beat poetry in my class, which is really cool, and I've never really read that stuff, except I read Naked Lunch and Junkie in the, in the past couple of months. But up until this time in my life, I never read Kerouac. I never read Ginsburg. Oh, wow. Um, Bukowski or Burroughs. Stay away from Bukowski if really? you're trying not to drink. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, these are things I, I don't know. I hear them quoted a lot in recovery talk, but I hadn't read it. And uh, it's this stream of consciousness. It really captures the beat poets, the beat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what people were doing, how they were living. They wrote stuff as a group, kind of. Like they've all read and reread each other's works um, on the road by Kerouac is a big one. Um, Kurt Vonnegut, I think, was amongst them with Trout Fishing in America. Um, Vonnegut's and it's, great. It's really, really interesting. And it, the way that Burroughs and, um, and also in Gidsburg, the way that they describe, they just capture the zeitgeist of like, mm-hmm. uh, I think, 50s, it's post-war, uh, 50s into the si- early 60s. And I think that 
it actually um, it had a lot to do with where we went towards Woodstock and that whole, it was all part of that. Nat and I share an affinity for beat poetry. So um, when we get our Patreon up and running, we were thinking about doing something involving uh, yeah involving that. So yeah, we're uh, gonna, stay tuned um, for that. We're working. I have a Patreon. I just, it needs to be you know updated and stuff, but we're going to do some really cool stuff on there. It's not just going to be another show. We may do that, but we're going to do some cool stuff. I'm very excited for it. Uh, quick story, uh, 1985. Shit story. Fordham University. Um, there was a group there that would bring various authors and um, other luminaries to campus to give lectures. Uh, and they brought Allen Ginsberg. So I went to it. Yeah. And there was probably at most 20 people sitting in a room with Allen Ginsberg while he sat there with his harmonium and uh, a young boy toy that he brought with him playing the guitar uh, since Alan was uh, was gay and had a succession of younger men that he, oh, yeah. <laughs> he liked to carouse with. Yeah, good for him. And um, <laughs> he came and he did some readings and he read a, a little bit of Howl actually and then he, and some other poems and then he played his harmonium and chanted um, Tibetan Buddhist mantras while his uh, friend accompanied him on the guitar. Uh, and that was a weird evening. And then he stuck around afterward and, and uh, answered questions. And I got into a, a fairly deep conversation with him about Tibetan Buddhism because it what? was something that I had studied, um, you know, in high school uh, on my own. And I never really met anybody. And, you know, it was it was one of those out-of-body experiences because... At that point, I was felt like I was living the beat thing, right? Like I was, I was really into those authors. I was really into that time period, and here I am sitting down in a room talking to Allen Ginsberg. That's, that's amazing. Know? Yeah, it was a crazy story. And wow. then two weeks later, they brought in Timothy Leary, and that's I'll save that story for another wow. day. But you're um, old. I know, right? These guys are all alive, and they were like not decrepit yet. Wow. Uh, anyway, so tell me about that. that time you met Moses in the desert. <laughs> what was that like? Well, I met a guy. I used to buy crack off a guy named Moses on East 100. 92nd Street. <laughs> hey, Mike is so old, his social security number is one. <laughs> anyway, I should tell him about the FedEx thing because yeah, uh, we did. So, um, so I ordered a chair for Aaron's birthday. It was. Um, That's your gift for your wife. Okay. A chair. Right. So it's one of these chairs that it's like a swing, but it's also a chair. Not that kind of chair. But it, you know, it's, it's, um, it's like a, a bamboo wraparound chair that you put outside. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, outside. And, the I, party. and I ordered this from this company in California through Amazon, and I wasn't really paying attention. This shipping, it said it'll be there in like three days. I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, three days goes by. There's no sign that it's arrived anywhere, and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's doing card tricks to distract me again. Um, anyway, to make a long not particularly interesting story short, uh, it gets to the point where the, the chair has arrived. It's sitting in a distribution facility three towns away, and there's no date for when it's going to be delivered. Uh-huh. And the shipper can't help me. And FedEx, I, I got my regular FedEx driver and interrogated him, and he couldn't help me. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go down there and liberate the chair and bring it home in my car. So the day I choose to go down there, unfortunately, is the day after all those FedEx people had been shot. Uh, <laughs> so, so I guess they were a little on edge. And I walked in there with my paper and I started demanding, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it hadn't occurred to me at that point that the FedEx people might be a little... Um, like uh, jumpy? Jumpy, <laughs> yeah. you know. Way to go. But um, 
So I don't know. I caused a bit of a ruckus uh, because they were like, well, it's here, but we can't take it off the truck. And it actually came in this morning. I'm like, no, uh, I have something off your FedEx tracking thing that says it's been here for seven days and sitting, you know, and they were like, well, I don't know. I think that's wrong. You know, and it was one of those deals. Like, the official thing you got from our company. And they were wrong. like, well, it'll be d- delivered tomorrow or, or Saturday. Or another day. Were they just like <laughs> sitting in it, be in the back? Did they like open <laughs> right? it? You walked to the guy sitting in the chair. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so I, I left, and uh, and you know, after I felt bad afterwards that I was yelling at the FedEx people who were probably fearing for their lives that I was going to take out a gun and lay waste to the. FedEx I think place. you weren't mad at them. I think there's something else going on. No, I was definitely mad at them <laughs> because they they were they know. were really dismissive and not interested in this in goes back me to your chair. childhood i think it, it's entirely possible but you know childhood. i'm working out my trauma at the fedex uh, like that guy did in the midwest but you know anyway so p.s the chair showed up not the next day not saturday but it showed up uh yesterday delivered by or two days ago delivered by some janky company that was on contract with fedex that the oh, guy kind of so shady yeah so anyway that was, right. that was my not interesting um, story. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just talk about before we move on to, um, we do have a topic today, don't we? Yeah. Like, our topic 36 is minutes into this. Already. Shit. Um, I just wanted to, <laughs> we had a really great weekend. Uh, I think uh, all of the sports has started now. So my kids are playing games. I don't remember if le- this last weekend was opening day or not, but um, baseball, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Was that last weekend? I don't know. It was just crazy town. But on Sunday, we took my youngest is doing soccer. And um, my 10-year-old, uh, my oldest, we, we brought him with him. And he, like, didn't want to do anything. And he didn't want to leave the house. And he's, like, Mr. Wannabe teenager type of thing. But we went there, and it was in the field that's in, like, a town park type of thing. But not our town because it's, like, a travel thing, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't realize. And um, I said, like, I saw that there was like woods behind the field. Oh, yes. Um, And you could tell there was a a way to get in. And it just brought me back to like what we used to do. Mm -hmm. And those are the trails that teenagers and people go in to like hang out and stuff like that. Was it in a sump? It wasn't a sump per se. Um, No, no, it wasn't a sump. But it was kind of like that. And, and I said, Noah, come on, let's go. I bet you we'll find some crazy hobo stuff in there. <laughs> just to get him excited. I'm like, right. oh, it'd be an adventure. Like, let's do it. And he's like, okay. So we did, we went through the, you know, my other son's playing. I was like, come on, let's go. I was like, let's sneak around. He loves to do things. If I mm-hmm. say we're sneaking, I right. can get him to do sure. stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, and I took pictures by the way, we, we walked down this path and lo and behold, there's this giant look like a teepee, something that Sasquatch built, like a really big setup. There was a broken plastic chair. There mm. was where they were making a fire. There was water bottles, empty water bottles everywhere, mm. which I think, I'm not sure what that is. It could be um, it could be for heroin because a lot of addicts, they get the bottle of water that they keep yeah, their water right, in right, right. so they can have clean, they don't have to use puddle water to shoot up. Um, <laughs> so. And I, Noah was like, what is going on here? I said, see that? And like, this could be teenagers. We were like detectives. I'm like, it could be teenagers. It could be hobos. It could be just drug addicts. So we were picking through some of the garbage just to see, you know, get an idea what was happening. <laughs> and, uh, and there was totally like, like illegal THC vape boxes. Uh, um, empty, not illegal anymore. But. New empty beer cans and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it got us talking about marijuana mm. with my son and, right. and beer. 
And uh, it was almost like I had to make a stand to, to say what I felt mm. about alcohol. And it's like these moments you can't plan when you get right. a cho- chance to talk to your kid about it. And um, I realized I froze a little bit because I don't know how I feel about marijuana, really. Mm-hmm. I know how I feel about alcohol, and I'm, I'm always very open with him. You know, daddy doesn't drink because it, it's poison and it almost ruined his life. You know, so I'm, I'm softly giving him that information on how bad alcohol is, how many people die from it, how right. it ruins lives, how it causes cancer, how, you know. And, uh, but when marijuana came up and it was clearly teenagers who were using it. Right. Um, I had to say like, you know, um, you, you can't smoke marijuana until you're 21 legally. And I said, but I'd rather you never touch alcohol than never touch marijuana. And I made it clear that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like it at all. I don't want you doing anything like that, but I, you know, just, I'm really put trying to put it, it in perspective for him on how poisonous and dangerous alcohol is. Right. And just kind of be honest. I think that's a good approach. Yeah. I just want to be honest with him because kids sense when you're lying to them, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it all starts with Santa Claus. Uh, and that's the way they feel because my son has said that since he found out there was no Santa Claus. Yeah, Ben too. He's very angry at us. Yes. <laughs> so I, I question the wisdom of even doing the Santa Claus thing. I mean, and trying to tell the kids that it's real. I mean, because they really do resent us for lying I, to them. I don't know how much of a micro trauma that is or, you know. I don't know. But will that drive them to drink in later years? Probably, that, you know, I think that we're going to find out as we do more research that the number one cause of alcoholism is <laughs> being told Santa Claus is real. <laughs> that would be um, bizarre. All right. I think it's time to get to the main topic. The main topic. What is the main topic? It's uh, a, continua- a continuation of our discussion of the book Alcohol is Shit, written by Paul Churchill of the Recovery Elevator Empire. And I will say something about Ivan. I invited Paul Churchill Onto the show, the author, yeah, to um, to you know discuss his program for recovery from alcohol and discuss his observations about the drinking culture in the United States, and um, he has not replied. Not replied. No. Despite the fact, and I will say, despite the fact that I filled out a form on Recovery Elevator, and when I hit the send button, a little window popped up that said, "Thank you for for reaching out. This email is monitored." Um, mm. you know, you will receive an answer within 24, <laughs> in 24 hours. And uh, Wait, the or, auto message yeah, was incorrect? Or, or at most, you know, two days. And now here it's been like six days, Paul, and nothing. Nah, those things don't mean anything. I reached out. He's very, very What busy. if I had been an extremist? He's know? almost as... He's not busy. He handed the reins of the podcast over to to uh, what's her name and now he's Odette, like Odette yeah. and now he's wandering around in South America taking ayahuasca looking for a place to set up his freaky retreat center well maybe he didn't have cell service I'm sorry I'm just annoyed I like it when people return emails even if it's only to say even Annie Grace no. returned yes Annie Grace returns my emails that's why I went on her podcast but that's I really, why I graced her with my presence yes you did you Annie graced <laughs> her right. with your presence I really love this book I've been listening to it this is my second time listening to it and um, yeah it's a good book um, yeah, it's along the Annie Grace lines, as we discussed in the last episode. Um, so and, uh, what did you? how think? do you want to attack this? So I think if I throw a term at you, yes. then you talk a little bit about it, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Well, I'll read a little bit that Paul yeah. says, and then we can kind of discuss it. Yeah, so, we're trying to make this more entertaining, guys. Right. 
And we really, we're trying. I don't think it's working. Um, so the first, so where we left off last week, I'll just throw a term at you. Addiction whack-a-mole. Uh-huh. So when we don't address the source of our unease, then it's only a matter of time before other addictions start to present themselves. Addiction whack-a-mole is where we push down the alcohol, but the pull to cover up our internal discomfort arises in a different part of life. Yeah. So th- that reminds me of that, uh, that recovery phrase, um, changing seats on the Titanic, we used to say. Yeah. Like if somebody stops drinking and, and picks up marijuana, they put, pick up, they put down marijuana and they pick up, you know, maybe you go through your, like the Titanic, which sank. Um, if, if you go from one seat to another on the Titanic, the ship still sinks and you still die. So, it does. Um, and I think that whack-a-mole is another way of saying that. But it doesn't necessarily, you could, you could stop drinking and you're addiction pops up in something that's not another substance. It can well, pop up as yes. anger. It can mm-hmm. pop up as um, food issues mm-hmm. or work. compulsive exercise, compulsive work. What are you right? saying? Compulsive exercise? You look great now. <laughs> I'm getting there. Yeah. But um, yeah, and, and he says that that's a dangerous thing. And I just heard this part this morning and I... <laughs> 10 minutes before we yeah. started recording. Right, I did. And... Um, I agree with it a lot because what he's saying is he was going on a, on a rant about ha- counting days and day mm-hmm. counting, and this is all related to that. And he was saying that early on when he was doing the Recovery Elevator podcast, he would start each episode with, my name is Paul Churchill and I have 50 days uh, alcohol free. Right. And he was talking about how he doesn't do that anymore, not because it's not something to celebrate when you get a certain number of days but that it's kind of obfuscating the true successes that can happen um, while you're in recovery. In other words, he's saying, let's measure success differently. Right. Uh, and that, and he goes on to talk about dry drunks, which you've been accused and I've been accused of being by people who, you know, know we don't subscribe directly to AA. But the truth is that... Um, it's it's more about measuring your life success and things that are important because the way he puts it, simply, you know, the dry drunks he's met are people who do one thing for their recovery. And that one thing is just not drinking or using. And that that does not address the underlying issues, you know, because for a lot of us, drinking or using drugs was the solution right. to these inner uh, issues, these problems. And so by only stopping drinking, you're really just taking away your solution. You're not adding anything else, which is why it's so important that we meditate, that we discuss, that we read, mm-hmm. what we write. And that, you know, because of that, you know, get wrapping too much in how many days you have, you know, there's that feeling that, if, if you've got three years uh, of sobriety and you, you know, you have a bad day and you finally, you take a drink, you get drunk, you don't get drunk, but that that's this horrific failure and that you must start over. And it kind of puts too much importance on that. Right. And I agree with that. I think we talked about this earlier. Like uh, if you, you know, if you st- have 50% less drinking in the last six months comparatively to the previous that's success, you know, and we want to eventually get to abstinence, mm-hmm. but you continue to improve, your life gets better, you know, and so maybe we don't talk about how many days we have. Maybe it's something you reflect on as it's happening, but that it's not your primary focus. Primary focus is you want to be closer with your family. Your primary focus is you want to do more things that you enjoy that don't involve getting wasted. You want all of that stuff. That's well said. 
Thank well you. said. Um, the goal should be abstinence, if only because um, you can't start doing any real internal work when your mind is clouded by right. other things. The problem is, um, you know, a lot of people have a hard time. Uh, well, what's the expression he used in the book? Uh, if you want to figure out why you drink, quit drinking and you'll find out pretty quick. Yes. Because, because once you stop, you're left with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're left with yourself, you need to start working on yourself. And if you don't do that, it's, you're just going to end up back where you started from. Or your, your addiction is either going to show up as something else. Uh, you're going to become a, quote, dry drunk. Or you're going to be back out doing the stuff that you did that got you into the pickle in the first place. And so... The reason is, and so the next thing he addresses along this sort of roadmap is to, to kind of figuring yourself out is the difference between the thinking brain and, um, subconscious, subconscious, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And he addresses the subconscious uh, a lot. Um, and this is, this also, I think kind of explains, uh, many of you in AA know in the big book, there's this famous story they always talk about, about the gentleman who was a businessman who he stopped drinking and has said, you know, because of his work, he worked for 35, 40 years, retired, and then he started drinking mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and he died within two years. That's a story that gets told and retold that's written in the big book. And I think that it, that's because that's a perfect example is he quit drinking, but didn't, you know, do a program, whether it be AA or anything else. Uh, it appears that he just stopped drinking. And, you know, when he didn't, since he didn't fix or work on any of his internal, you know, struggles, he retired and then it was easy for him to just pick up and kill himself. So, and, how, so how do we work on our internal struggles? Um, Paul has a suggestion, uh, and it's really sort of based in um, sort of an Eastern philosophical approach to how how you see the brain, because um, you know your brain fabricates this reality, right? And mm. all the thoughts that you have, sixty to seventy thousand a day, apparently, and most of them are actually wrong. Um, your it, brain. Well, you think you think a lot, your right? Reality. You think about that's but a you, loaded but, statement. But you're also right there. always it's a lot for us to just accept and move on from that. Statement. Well, well, let's put it this way. I mean, when you walk around, there's this this voice inside your head that's constantly saying stuff to you. My inner addict. That's what I call. Him. Okay, you're in a. Uh, he calls his inner addict uh, Greg or Gary. Yeah, Gary. It Gary. <laughs> it's, it was a sponsor of mine at some point. But I mean, we we have these these thoughts, like, and what are what are these these thoughts that we don't even think about the while we're thinking about them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, like his voice would always say, Paul, you're a piece of shit right. or, you know, you, you know, you know, and, and you're constantly like writing scripts in your head about what's going to happen in the future, what happened in the past. And right. all of this is just, a, it's just perception that you have. It's right. your brain running, running wild. Right. If you think I can't do it, I'll never do it. Or, I mean, if you think a certain you know. way, you create you create an attitude and an, and an attitude being a cycle of short-term thoughts experienced over and over again. You should have an attitude of gratitude. If you string a series of attitudes together, you create a belief and a belief is a more elongated state of being and those become subconscious. So when you add beliefs together, they become perceptions. Right. And your perceptions have everything to do with the choices you make, the behaviors you exhibit, the relationships you choose and the realities that you create for yourself. Yeah. So, so what, what he recommends is... Um, try getting a meditation practice going because you mm-hmm. need to separate 
you know, you're not the voice inside your head, but you're the one that hears the voice inside your head. Mm -hmm. So you are not that series of endless chatter and thought. You are a being other than that. I think therefore I am. Your thoughts are your being. Right. That's that whole. Except they're not. Like you, you're, you're, the essence of yourself is the one who perceives the thoughts. Right. So what you need to do is separate all of that mental chatter away from the you that's behind all of that. That's that re- what he says. That reminds me of um, Emerson as a um, transcendentalist and the transparent eyeball in his famous poem, Nature, where he mm. says, I am a transparent eyeball. And then you know, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there, but it was the, the concept of transcendentalists is that they were going back to nature um, and in like Thoreau's another one, um, Walden, mm-hmm. uh, Paul, Walden Pond, and he was that too. And that the idea is you're going into nature, you're rejecting all of the materialism and stuff to really, and they talk about being the transparent eyeball is the famous um, metaphor, uh, and that you're intaking all of this input from nature. And in order to really become one with the universe, uh, you're really, you know, kind of taking that filter off and being one and then be experiencing the universe as part of it. You also have to, you have to quiet that part of your mind that takes so that you everything get and it. lays judgment on top of right. everything or, or says, becoming, this is good, this is bad, this is right. You're just you being know. part of it and mm-hmm. experiencing it without all that chatter. Right. So that kind of lines up the transcendentalists and the Buddhists. It's all kind of in the same vein, like just um, clearing your mind true. to stop because all of that noise isn't necessarily how it is. It's just distractions. What's your perception how it is, right? Sure. I mean, Buddhism would argue that your idea of the self or who you are is just an arbitrary mental construction. Mm. And it's based on your past experiences. Right. You should let go of that idea of you or that definition of who you are. Yeah. And I... I, Because if you identify so strongly with the ego... You know, it's going to be very hard to change your behavior patterns. And the truth you know, is, we're much coping bigger mechanisms than that. And yeah, we are exactly. much bigger than we're spirit that. souls. We man. only live an average of seventy-five years, but we actually exi- have existed forever. There mm-hmm. is, we are infinite um, in my belief that um, you know we were before and we are after, mm-hmm. and um, what we're experiencing now is a very small part of our total existence. And tuning into that uh, is very good and helps us experience this 3D reality in a, in a more authentic way. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, how many people sit down and, and let that quiet in? And, and It's so know, hard to do. Yeah. I, I do it when I pray. I, um, like when I'm just doing regular prayer. I, uh, I I do a little meditation beforehand, but nothing was better than when I was doing like my 15 minutes a day with um, mm-hmm. that app. That is really good. And uh, I felt so good. It felt like getting high when I was meditating like that. Like it, you just, I got this floaty, pleasant feeling. And uh, it, meditation really does that. If you guys, you should try it. That what's that app everybody uses? Headspace. Headspace. It is. You can start with a three minute meditation, and it's really cool, um, and it really, really helps. And I, I've got to get back to it. Yeah, I, I uh, meditate every day. Um, it's something I could never have done while I was drinking because I, I, tr- I used to try though. 
I would have a glass of wine or two and then wait a couple hours and then sit down and try and meditate. And it was, it was impossible. I I, Um, And, um, but now I find myself looking forward to it every day because you can just really work on turning out that voice inside of your head that tells you the things that are not really representative of, of who you are, even though you think you can get very attached to your ego's perception of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's learned. And um, I could have used that last night. Um, that was the way I got through. Honestly, that's the way I got through the pandemic quarantine without drinking or using um, because I had so much anxiety and I had so much. And then you're all of a sudden home with your family all the time. <laughs> and it's like everything is stopped. And I couldn't drink, even though meanwhile, when, you know, it's like my wife could, could have a glass of wine or whomever is drinking too much. I couldn't. Um, or didn't anyway, I could have, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And the only way I got through that is I would say, I'm going to meditate, go in the bedroom, close the door, get my headspace, put my app, you know, my earphones in and I would do the 10 or 15 minutes and it made all the difference and I didn't drink. So I should give it a try out there. It really is worthwhile doing. It's not like, you know, you don't have to believe in any particular, you don't have to be a Buddhist. You can just sit there and be quiet. And, uh, although trying to find a quiet spot in the house to meditate, I has been an endless source of difficulty with me because every room I go and somebody's yelling about something. Yeah. And then when you're trying to meditate and somebody, and your kids like, you can't scream at them or like stop because that completely destroys your your frame of mind. So come on, give me a second. I find myself going into the garage now, like right. sitting in the back of the garage. And uh, when I was doing this at the, the, in the fall last year, we there was a, there's a little rat that lives in my garage apparently. And, uh, you know, I heard him rustling around and he came walking right up to like within like a foot of me. And I was sitting so still that he didn't know so that weird. there was anybody there. So I, I turned around, I looked at him and I went, rah! And he... <laughs> Out of it bolted. I haven't seen him since. No, he's, it's he's, funny though. He's not coming back. Yeah. Um, so, um, so anyway, Spenza. I right. was just looking at this uh, thing, uh, the book he has, and um, Paul talks about uh, Doctor Dispenza. Yeah, you were the placebo. That was kind of the, the the thread that I was pulling before about beliefs becoming elongated states of subconscious. And but. it says that uh, if you think a certain way, you begin to create. An attitude. An attitude is a right. cycle of short-term thoughts experienced over and over again. I did just read that. Did you really? I well, I wanted to read it again just to <laughs> drive it home. Um, and you are the one that experienced the thinking mind. I. It's funny because I listened to the book a couple times and I, I wasn't thinking in these terms. So this is sort of opening it up to me. You know, I wasn't thinking about meditating when I read this. Um, and he, he also says the uh, spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle refers to the ego as a dysfunctional relationship with the present moment. I really, I really like, like that. That James. Yeah. You owe me a, you owe me a beer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so Eckhart Tolle. Yes. Eckhart Tolle. Um, so, um, so, okay. So still dipping through the book. He writes a lot of little short chapters yeah. in this book. You know, and then that, he says saddle like, up at the beginning. Saddle of each up. One. Saddle up. Saddle up. Yeah. Um, the invitation? The invitation. So the the other thing he says is that, that a drinking problem is really an invitation for you to find a better you. Right. I love this. Yeah. I love this invitation idea. Yeah. I mean, we, we shouldn't, we don't beat addictions, right? He says we listen to them and make the necessary changes. Uh, and we use their force to shine the light upon the correct path. 
forward. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I like the uh, the thought of, you know, uh, he's talking about how some people look at stopping drinking as um, as a negative thing in that it takes away stuff right. to do. Like, you know, if I don't drink, I can't, um, I can't go watch a football game or mm-hmm. I can't do this. I'll be an outcast. And he's saying, no, you have to look at this stopping drinking as the biggest opportunity you've had an invitation to finally get the life you want to have the happiness you want. Uh, and I love thinking about it that way. It's very, uh, very much along, uh, in tune with Annie Grace's idea of, of flipping the script and seeing, uh, sobriety as a state of abundance rather than a state of deprivation. Absolutely. And that is so hard to see when, when you're in it. Cause it, I remember I thought those same things, you know, my first, 25 days or something, uh, getting sober in AA, I remember talking to one of my friends who was also in the program that we used to go to his house to watch football games as a fan, you know, with my kids. And, and I was looking at him going, man, how am I going to watch football without drinking? Mm -hmm. And and as it turns out, like, I don't like football that much. When I I stopped drinking, I'm just not that interested. It's not, it's not not as interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of things are like that, like being on the dart team at the bar, um, maybe you don't want to do that, really. Maybe that's only an excuse to drink. But there, there's one expression I like from AA about bars, and because you know, so, some of these recovery programs, you know, Annie Grace even says, you know, you can go to the bar and hang out and have fun. You don't need alcohol, and you find you won't even miss it. But AA's got this, this expression: uh, if you if you keep hanging out in the barber shop, one day you're going to get, get a haircut. haircut. <laughs> I, I love that one. Which I I like that. I say that too, man. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Don't maybe don't hang out in a bar. Um, Or you won't want to really. No, I like. What is there to do in there besides drink? I've never in it ever missed hanging out in bars. Even when I was drinking, I hated going to bars, and ultimately I stopped going and I just drank by myself in a closet. (laughs) Um, But I liked it. Sorry, it's not funny, but it's like yeah. But that's that's so true. Um, Bars are awful. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, just the idea that this is your opportunity, this is your invitation from the universe, from God, from whomever you pray to or don't pray to, um, and or Nietzsche, maybe you, you want to be delivered by Nietzsche, um, but it's taking that invitation and going with it, and that's what I feel like I've been able to do, or what I've finally, I did it without realizing it, and now looking back at what I've done since I got clean, uh, yeah. I took the invitation and I ran and ran with it and I'm still running with it. And, um, it does feel a bit like bipolar mania. Um, but it's great. I mean, I'm (laughs) doing things that I never imagined I could do, like going for a run. I actually went for a run. I know that we talked amazing fucking, I mean, it was, yeah, I, uh, it was a 15 minute run, but, uh, it was it. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, worked very hard. Um, just doing something as, as simple as that. I could have never saw saw myself do that before. So take the invitation. Thank you, Paul Churchill. Take the invitation. He's right. So he's all about big about, uh, recovery being very much an inside job. You know, you can't regulate your internal state of discomfort by external means like, uh, alcohol. Um, and then he goes through it like a number of, um, other sort of recovery. I don't know what you'd call them. Um, ideas or concepts and, and adds his, 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 what he thinks about them. And the primary one, I guess, which is not a surprise from a guy that 
makes a living running recovery uh, groups is you, <laughs> you can't do this alone. Right. Um, that there are several, and he says very specifically, there are several gray areas in recovery, but this is not one of them. This one is black and white. We cannot do this alone, even though it's how most people's journey into an alcohol-free life begins. Mm. Do you believe this? I think community is huge. Um, I think that, I mean, how much of what goes on in 12-step groups is strictly the fellowship? You know, they say don't drink and go to meetings mm-hmm. because you can get pretty far just on being in a community of people doing this the right thing and just by, you know, eliminating that one bad behavior. Uh, that only gets you so far, but together with all of the other inner work and changing your other behaviors, you know, community is huge and um, I'm a believer in it. In fact, Dr. Bob and Bill W., the whole concept behind the program was to one alcoholic talking to another and sort of like what we're doing. Like I was doing okay before we started doing this show um, in last August, but until I got myself, because there, there wasn't really meetings. Uh, I wasn't going to Zoom meetings or anything at the time. But once we started talking and we made it a regular thing to sort of go through it with another person. Uh, it makes it for a much richer and I think a, a better uh, experience in recovery. So I agree with that a hundred percent. I agree. I, I, I think you don't, maybe you don't need 20 people or, you know, but as long as you have one person. Yeah. The sense of belonging, the sense of you're in it together. You're, you know, um, I mean, different people have different thresholds for, yeah. You know, other people. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, but then, but if you get yourself in a spot where like, I don't want to see anybody, I just want to be alone. Yeah, that's never a good that's space. Un- when I do that, I'll speak for myself. When I, I get in that mode, I know there's something going wrong mm-hmm. when I, that's called isolating. Yes. And, um, and it's not good. And what's great about, um, our Facebook group and others is that it kind of creates that space. Cause so many people, are using uh, comfort more comfortably social media to do these things right and because it was the only way you could do it but even just posting in a group every day like our group or, or the dopey nation i mean all of that community stuff making you feel a part of um you know we're social beings we're not meant to be recluses or nomads and uh, there's very few people you know that can do that and have any kind of happiness i think mm-hmm. in my opinion I don't disagree. Um, yeah, so definitely. And, and that's part of why, you know, it's part of why we do this. And it's part of why people like reaching out to us and other people. I think because you get that validation that you're on the right path and that other people, you're not alone. Right. I know. And um, yeah, 100%. So go to our private Facebook group <laughs> yeah. and uh, come say hello. Yeah, sign up. We're yeah. uh, Sign we're up, there. it's free. Yep. Um, but knowledge and willpower won't right. cut it. Won't cut it. That's Will, true. You can't think your way out of this. Willpower is a, right? a finite resource. Um, people who, who typically quit with just using willpower. I mean, I, I heard, I read a study somewhere recently where it said that you, it takes the same amount of mental energy to make small decisions as it once as it does to make big ones. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, so what does that mean? That means that if you've made a, um, yeah, I don't know what, how is that, how is that applicable? <laughs> is that, is it's that not really applicable. Um, knowledge and willpower, uh, willpower being a finite resource, meaning you, it's like a muscle. You can, you can overuse it. And once you do, it gets tired and then it doesn't work anymore. So if you're using, if you're basing your recovery or you're not using on, you know, just white knuckling it or yeah. willpower, it's not going to work. Right. So you yeah. may, you may need to do that 
to stop using a particular substance and get a couple of days under your belt. But after that, that's not, it can't form the basis to any lasting recovery because you have to start working inside. Yeah, and believe me, I tried. And um, one of the sources of my early failures, if we can call it that, or not successes, and my sponsors or whomever would always say, you're overthinking it. You know, your best thinking, they say, this is another saying, got you where you are. And um, in other words, you know, sitting there trying to, you know, your life's in shambles and this was your best thinking. I don't know if I 100% agree with that because I was always, and then when they would tell you, just do this or just call these 10 people and you'd say like, why? I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, shut up and just do it for a little bit. You know, you can't think your way out of it. Now, Mm. that was true for me then when I had acute, you know, uh, withdrawal symptoms. But now I actually revel in self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually what's sustaining me is self-knowledge. Uh, and so I don't want to completely put the kibosh on learning, uh, which is sort of what they tell you to do. Like stop learning because your brain is fried and you're not even perceiving the information in a, in a healthy way, which I agree with. But I think at some point we must have self-knowledge. It's not alone, but we must learn about these things. That's part of what this show is about, learning. Doesn't that sort of circle back to what he just said about most of the thoughts in your head being wrong? Yeah, I guess. Right. You know, that you need to to work on changing your way of thinking before you, you know, are thinking clearly, I guess. Yeah, and I think that goes back to like what we were saying about Annie Grace's book and, and this book is that you don't, there's a reason they don't hand this book out, you know, your first day of inpatient rehab. Um, hmm. I don't think that you're in a spot yeah. to really perceive know. it, make it make a difference. So I don't know if I agree I'm not with convinced. you on that. Because if, if they can hand you the big book, they can hand you this book too. Right. But the big book is dumb down, you know. It's not like a lot to think about. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe a sh- Maybe not. But listen, I think we're going to... Uh, I think we need to... Yeah, we got to end here on this uh, discussion for this week. I don't know if we're going to do this again next week. Maybe we'll do a short... What, the podcast? No, we're doing the podcast. But, <laughs> okay. Because um, well, there's so much more. There's yeah. burning the ships. There's the ayahuasca yeah. thing. We're going to have to do a part three. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned for that. And now we're going to take a short break for <laughs> RMA Urination. This is where the Middle Ages thing comes in. Yeah. Be right back. We're back. Hi. Hi. That went well. Glad to hear that. Best nation in the world, urination. <laughs> um, so now we are, that was a very, very uh, in-depth, in-depth uh, part two, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we recommend you go out and um, buy and listen to this book. We'll provide a link that you can support the show with if you use it to purchase the book. We'd appreciate it. And if you tweet endlessly at Paul Churchill and annoy him enough that he maybe comes on the show, that would also yeah. be great. Paul Churchill. You may as well hear Get it him from on his show. mouth next week. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now it's time for Recovery in the News. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody commented on the Facebook page this week that they... Really liked the jingle. <laughs> we talked about replacing that jingle last week, and then somebody I have went a song on and was like, from my band. Don't, 
Oh, really? Yeah, they like, oh, it's darn catchy. I, I wanted to use said. a different song for my band for maybe the outro, but I think people are, are used to hearing that one song. Are you trying to sell this CD? Is that what's going on? Here? I think I may put, put the record out again and uh, see if anybody listens to it. Because yeah. it's really good. It's a great record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, what is the uh, Recovering the News this week? Well, Recovering the News uh, comes from ourcommunitynow.com and the title of the article is Bush Beer Wants to Hire Your Dog to Taste Test Non-Alcoholic Beers. Right. This is our very serious recovery news. So, would your dog be willing to try out this drink? Yes, you read that correctly. Bush is looking for dogs to taste test its new non-alcoholic beer created specifically for dogs. Now, you know what? It's not, it's not enough that these alcohol companies are pushing booze down every human being's throat. It's a, now now they're pushing it down dogs' throats. Why do they want to make a beer that tastes good so dogs will like it? What is... And <laughs> non-alcoholic beer as the, well. The selected dog will hold an official title of chief tasting officer and will win $20,000, <laughs> an $800 prepaid card to purchase pet insurance, which he's going to need when he develops obesity from drinking non-alcoholic beer, and four 10-packs of Bush Dog Brew. What the <laughs> the original dog brew was so popular it sold out right away. Its ingredients include celery, bone-in pork butt, turmeric, bone broth, mint, and other healthy herbs. So they're selling it as a health drink. Would your dog be willing to try out this drink? Oh, wait. That's the same paragraph repeated yes, twice. Yes, you okay. read that correctly. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. It's not alcoholic so uh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, that's Go. very strange. Um, but I guess, I guess it's a way, like if you're going to pick up a six pack of Bush Light at the you, store, and you see your, you got your dog in the car. You want him like, to enjoy yeah. a beer with you as well. Yeah. Uh, it's this is sick fetishizing of alcoholic beverages, yeah. and bringing your dog into it is equally sick. I, I don't know how many of these fucking hillbillies are giving their dogs beer right now. And anyway, you know, it's um, <laughs> yeah, very strange. I mean, sorry, 20, apologies 000, to any hillbillies that listen to $20,000. I mean, that could be uh, the price of treatment for one of these alcoholics who are trying to give their dog beer. You know, that's what they should do. Wow. You know, that's a great point. You know, I really, that is a great point. I make great points. Sometimes. You just, Brought, sent me back on my heels thinking about that. Did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're giving $20,000 to dogs to taste test bone broth beer. <laughs> Do you think, yeah, maybe this should be invested in helping some of these people you got addicted to your beer? and your like, shitty, <laughs> disgusting, yeah. fresh light. You know, that so this nobody is what drink, the only people drink it is because they can afford it. Yeah, like otherwise. They've got money to reward dogs. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was uh, recovering the news. Yeah. Um, and now it's time for This Week in Weird. Baby dinosaur filmed in Florida. Oh. A woman in Florida believes that her home security system captured footage of a baby dinosaur dashing through her yard. According to a local media report, the strange scene unfolded outside the residence of Christina Ryan in the city of Palm Coast. Early one morning... Last week, she says her security picked up the presence of something in her yard and began filming. The oddity in question, as seen in the video in this article, which we will post, appears to be some kind of creature running past her house. <laughs> it is Florida. 
Florida. It could be any creature, really. <laughs> Ryan expressed bewilderment. It could be like a, one of those junkie hunters. Yeah. Um, Ryan expressed bewilderment over what the animal in the video could have been, indicating that, quote, any animal we can come up with that would be, quote, walking at 340 in the morning wouldn't walk this way. I'm thinking mess. Walk this way. <laughs> <laughs> Left with no solution to the mystery, the baffled homeowner mused that maybe I've just watched Jurassic Park too many times, but maybe. I see a raptor or other small dinosaur. <laughs> Ryan claims that her, oh, it's a female named Ryan, claims that her <laughs> assessment has been echoed by several of her friends who have seen the video. Some have argued that the creature could be a bird, but Ryan dismissed that explanation because, quote, whatever it appears to have, whatever it is, appears to have front legs. Um, as such, she declared, I'm sticking with Raptor as the identity of the oddity. Um, what, are, what about a chiku, uh, chupacabra? Could be chupacabra. It could yeah. be a pugwaji. A what? A pugwaji. It's a uh, far spirit that kidnaps children. Oh. I forget what country. I think Or Chile. it could just be too many people smoking too much meth in their trailer and seeing weird shit run across the yard. Probably not a baby dinosaur, but that is This Week in Weird. All right, that about does it, it for our show this week. Um, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Tweet us at Twatch, you twit. Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are sold, five-star reviews will be read on the air. And new merch is available. Send us a message to our Facebook group or email us at mikear at middleagesrecovery.com for details. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Cheers.